Welcome to the Momnificent Podcast. This is the place where we help parents live a happy, healthy life with their kids. We're going to show you how to connect with your child and help them even in their most difficult moments as we hear from experts in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Karin Jakubowski, an international speaker, public school principal, and former struggling student. The Momnificent Podcast equips parents with science-based strategies to help you live a happy, healthy life with your kids. Welcome. On this week's episode, I have Emily Ewan with me. She's a special ed teacher in Maryland, and she just completed her master's degree. Through a recent research project, she created an opportunity for her student voices to be heard. And what's powerful about this is that what our students are thinking and their perspective can help us be better teachers and really help support each student. If you know a teacher, I would love it if you would take the opportunity to just pass this episode on to them. Okay, so help our audience with, I'm going to let you tell us what you want the audience to know about you. Like it's one okay. for on the show. I usually like, I'm like, and here's Emily Ewan and she's done this, this, this. And, and today I was like, you know what? I heard it on a recent podcast, a, a, a host did it. I was like, Oh, I like that. I'm going to try it. So you're, you're my first try. Okay. So tell us, what do you want our audience to know about you? What are the things you love? You just mentioned a few things, but um, what do you do? And then what do you like to do in your free time? Yeah. Um, my name is Emily Ewan. I live in the Eastern shore of Maryland. I'm really, I don't know why I always talk about the Eastern shore, but I just think I'm really proud of this area. Um, the community down here is like no other. And I just think it's a part of like me. So I always like to talk about that. Um, I'm a teacher. I've been a teacher for four years and I just graduated from university of Delaware with my master's of leadership and disability services. Um, And when people, I think what's really important that I need to start being more proud of and like taking more time to explain is what I did for four years. Because when I say teacher, people think like elementary school teacher, or they think um, when I say middle school, they're like, they just think of like math or science. And that's not really, that's not what I did. And I think people really need to know more about what I did, which was work with students who have emotional disabilities. um, And they... So a student who has an emotional disability may not necessarily have been born with a disability. Um, they, you can be born with an emotional disability based off like imbalances in your brain, but also it, if, a, if a child at a certain, certain ages undergoes trauma that impacts their ability to process their own emotions, process others' emotions and process things around them. Um, and yeah, so I think the four years that I've taught, I, it has really impacted who I am as a person. Um, I've noticed I'm a lot more patient. I listen. I, when I was in college and as a kid, I would talk nonstop and couldn't, people couldn't get a word in. And I noticed now, like coming into the beginning of my thirties, I'm a lot more quiet and I'm a lot more introverted and just like to listen first before I necessarily say something, um, which I think has, my career has really impacted that because in order to get my, to know my students, I have to become a better listener, so. And you recently finished a study that you did uh, mocking a couple other studies that you had mentioned on an earlier call. And uh, before you kind of dive into what that kind of research told you about being an educator and, Um, I was mentioning your uh, presentation to a fellow special ed parent uh, teacher, and they were like, wait, what did she say? I want to hear it. I want to see it. So that's why I was like, wait, let me call Emily up and see if she'll come on my podcast so I can share it and show it for those of of, out there who are interested in this area and this topic. But what's one thing you would say maybe to a teacher educator listening that like everybody did had a tough year and in dealing with students with severe and intense complex needs and emotional needs, what if some of them just feel a little burnt out is what's like a tip or a tool or a a thought maybe that, that will help inspire or pick them up or lift them up today. Would you say? I, I think that, I think that all one thing that me and my colleagues would talk about throughout this year is that we're all burnt out, but so are the students. And I don't, 
And sometimes you just have to remind yourself that like your words are what like students look forward to. And how you say something can impact your day and their day. Um, so like, for example, like one thing that was really embarrassing about this year that I really regret, but like, I think it just really sums up what I just said is I was, I was in charge of our bus, not in charge, but I was one of our bus ramp attendees this year. And in Maryland, um, the kids all had to be six feet apart, you know, masks on. And we were approached to be very strict about it. And after week two of telling the same students to, you know, get, you know, space out, please space out. Hey, can you put the, your face mask on correctly? Week two, I had lost my temper and was like getting very like, hey, like I've already told you and, you know, already started being um, more like more totalitarian and I then I noticed like throughout my day, like my mood was completely off. And one of my students who her and I have a really good relationship, she'd be like, why are you cranky? Um, and she would call me out on it. And I was like, I don't know why I'm cranky. I had a good mood. I had my coffee. Like I, I, I worked out this morning. Like why, why am I so angry besides having this mask on? And I realized it was how I was interacting too with these students. Um, and so like, I noticed that and I was like, okay, cool. Like, we're going to try this differently. So I stopped reminding them about the masks and I stopped um, telling them to get six feet apart, but I did it in a different way. So like when kids were not doing the rule, like following the rules, I just went up to them. And I was like, how are you guys doing? What's going on? And just my presence, like they quickly put the mask on without me saying it. So I thought that was really interesting because I, I didn't really need to remind them of the rule. I feel like they just also wanted that attention and wanted, you know, somebody to talk to them. Um, and then I noticed my mood was better. And my student, she was like, just like, wow, like you're happy today. And, you know, and my students online were like, noticed it too. And I was like, wow, just me talking differently to the kids and not necessarily getting upset over them, not following the rules, like it affects so many people in, and uh, throughout the, the school day. That is so huge. So two things you said reminded me of something I literally just read, um, how if, if a educator or teacher treats their child and just talks with them in a mindful way, like mm -hmm. actually showing that they care about what the child is saying, looking at them in the eye, nodding their head, like that whole listening, you know, body involved approach. They had, they'd actually did a study with kids, a teacher, just talking at them straight at them and not really connecting in those, those subtle cue ways. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the kids who had the mindful teacher, if you will, they actually felt so much more like engaged and warm and cared for it. And that, that person, like, I need something, that person. And it's just those little, little subtle nuances that you're, you're talking about that are just like, wow, that is so cool that you noticed that and you tried it and it actually gave you the same approach that you wanted, even though it was like different and you felt better afterwards. Yeah. Right. And yeah. that's the result they wanted. And they felt like you were, you know, connected with them. And then the other thing I just read in, in a principal magazine, they just sent an article out was how like give the kids this summer to just totally have fun and decompress because they're stressed and they had the most difficult year. And as much as we are saying that as adults, like the, it's the kids had the most difficult and, and things they missed out on and the birthday parties they couldn't attend and things like that. So it was just like, Hey, just recognize how hard this has been for the kids and just let them enjoy. They have to go through almost like that grieving process to like get to the other side. So that was really cool that you shared both of those things. Yeah. I think the grieving process is like huge yeah. like kids like especially middle school age and like you know the fifth fourth fifth graders they're fully aware what they they missed Especially yeah. they have older siblings um that got to experience something and that was like you know the mild marker that they were looking for it and it got ripped away from them like that can impact so much of like how they interact with their peers with staff members with parents like yeah and bitter be feeling yeah. better like the kids last year who didn't have the graduation or for us, the move up ceremony in fifth grade. And this yes. year we had it in person. And, um, you know, so those, those students a year older, just looking back and, and dealing with the feeling of that's not fair. I, and that, that can have a bitterness settle in, which, you know, we all know isn't healthy for your function, your body health yeah. in so many areas. 
Absolutely. Tell us about, um, so what got you, tell us about your study that you did and maybe what prompted you to go down that avenue. Yeah. So, um, I, I, I taught for two years and then I decided it was time to go back to do my master's just because I had the skills and a lot of my, um, coworkers who had started families expressed how hard it was. And I was like, all right, it's, it's time to go. It's time to do this. Um, and I chose the master's at Delaware because it worked with three schools. So it was with the school of education, but it also worked with the school of business and the school of health science. And one thing of working with students who have emotional disabilities, they have a lot of outside services, um, such as, you know, counseling. And then, you know, sometimes some of my students um, had to go away to different facilities, um, maybe across the Bay Bridge or up towards um, Wilmington, Delaware. And as an educator, you don't, at least in my undergrad and a lot of other educators I talk to, you don't really learn about those services and how to work together. Um, because a lot of times we're all trying to cook the same pie. One of my um, colleagues at UD talked, we all, we're all trying to cook the same pie, but none of us are talking. And one person has the cherries, the other person has the bread and we're all like connected, but we're not putting it together. And therefore the pie is gross or it's not like the best thing that you can have. Um, so I chose, chose this master's because of like, after like learning about the services and trying to have talked to like some of the service providers my students had outside of school, I was like, cool, this master's gonna like prep me to like, you know, know what to ask, know what these services look like and see what they're doing. So my colleagues and I, we were talking um, at UD and like some of them, you know, provided counseling services and different types of one, uh, one of my colleagues worked at a community college for students with disabilities, to, like prep, like not IEPs, but something similar to help them be successful at the community college. And immediately they asked what I did. And I started talking about students with emotional disabilities and all these people that worked in these outside services were like, yeah, if you have an emotional disability, you're not going anywhere. And it hit me really hard because I was like, yeah, I mean, what? Like, what do you mean? You know? Um, and my one colleague at the community college was like, yes, I've I've had a couple students that have trauma and emotional disabilities and they don't graduate or they don't, you know, they come to a class and then they're done. Um, and so I started talking to my advisor and my capstone. And originally what my capstone was supposed to be because of my experience working with students with emotional disabilities was I was gonna make a toolkit for general educators on you know, how to approach these students and um, different strategies that work, research-based strategies. And you know, like there's, like there's certain research-based strategies out with, um, for students who have autism you know, to cover the lights. And I was like, cool, there has to be something out there how to like, you know, approach students with emotional disabilities that like more people can be like in their toolbox and in their heads. So I started looking and researching and spent hours and I couldn't find any research that was replicated. I found, you know, some, a couple articles, like two articles about how they brought dogs into a classroom and how it helped students with emotional disabilities reading level come up. I found like all this random stuff, but I didn't find anything that was concrete. And it was it was really sad. And the only thing that was concrete over these, like, probably like over 80 articles that I read was that they burn out, teachers burn out, um, that, come on, I have some of my notes right here, that, you know, they end up going to jail, half of them don't graduate high school, and all these, all these things that like, if you have this label that you're probably gonna face. And then I started thinking of some of my students and some of my students that are now in high school that aren't doing well. And I'm like, wow, they're following the same stigma. Um, and it really just like, I was like, why doesn't anyone care? Why hasn't this really been brought to anyone's attention? Um, so after reading all these articles, I think like the biggest, article that like, like was crazy to me was um, this one study. It was about specifically about inclusion of students with ED. Um, so putting ED students into general education settings in the elementary setting, the middle school setting and the high school setting. 
And what they did was they did a um, scoping review. So they pulled like all these articles and really tried to see if like there was any themes or commonalities between this research. And basically they started with 7,416 manuscripts and they only met 30 that met the criteria of what they were looking for. And which was like, like out of 7,000 articles, only 30 were about specifically students with emotional disabilities and trauma. And this um, inclusion of students with ED, this was conducted in 2019. So it wasn't that long ago that the scoping review was done. Um, this article acknowledged that this was the first scoping review that had ever been done really in the educational setting because they didn't really acknowledge why it was the first one, but they just said this was the first one. And hopefully more people would dive into this research. Um, it does take a lot of time to do a scoping review to read that many manuscripts and see the commonalities. But the themes like suggested that um, there isn't sufficient evidence to show where students with emotional disabilities learn best. There's not enough evidence to show that like putting them in um, general education is the best or putting them in self-contained, which is what I teach. And I like that got my brain going because if, when they're in middle school and they're in self-contained, I teach them ELI, um, I, which is language arts, English. I teach them math, social studies, and uh, science, which I'm not certified in those areas. It's like an elementary school teacher. Yeah. And so and at some point in times, like I would have sixth graders and eighth graders in my block for Eli, all ranging from like, I would all do, I would do testing on them to make sure to see what their reading level would be ranging from, I one time had a classroom of five ranging from a pre-K level to a reading level comprehension. Middle school students. Wow. And that's not fair to the, that's not, it, that's, and not fair to me like I like, differentiation we're a guru it's easier easier said than done yeah like you know differentiating different differentiating sorry is great but there's there's only so much you can do you know yeah with wow. your time and like grouping and your help so I was just like you know that was crazy to me that there there's no research proving what the best area is for these kids wow. Um, it did, it did mention that one thing they found amongst the 30 articles is that offering choice was effective in, um, increasing student engagement. And that's something I use in my classroom a lot. And when I gave my presentation, I actually conducted a student interview with one of my students and explained to her what I was doing. She knew I was getting my master's and she was really excited to be a part of that. And throughout my research, like that's really like the only main research strategy I found that was proven to work with students with emotional disabilities. Um, and that's what my student talked about is that I give her two choices and give her time. So, you know, if she comes in and she uh, is displaying not in the best mindset and I'm like, and I just say, hey, you know, um, I would like you to get on, on work, on task. Um, but if you don't want to get on task, would you like a five minute break or a 10 minute break? And she really talked about that. That really like felt like she had control because there's so many things in life that she can't control um, in her family. And going back to what we talked about earlier with, you know, <laughs> talking about like the masks and like getting and me getting angry. She really talked about like that if a student isn't following a rule, like ask them why. Um, and avoid giving them authoritative directions. And this student, I worked with her for two years and my first year, she like was not open with me. She was very, uh, yes, no, leave me alone. Okay, yeah, I want that, thank you. And it was really neat because when we were doing this interview, it was more like you and I talking. I felt like I was talking to an adult and I didn't even prompt her. She just started talking about her sixth grade experience when she was in gen ed she started in general ed in the middle of her sixth grade year, it got pulled back to my class. And she's like, you know how we have lockers? I said, yeah, I do. And she goes, she's like, I hated being in gen ed because all the teachers would just yell at me to put my backpack in my locker. 
And I said, oh, well, why didn't you want to put your backpack in the locker? And she said, in elementary school, I have had my stuff stolen before. And, and she's like, you know, like uh, a lot of my stuff, Miss, like Miss Yon, like I pay for, I pay for my own stuff. And, you know, we don't have a lot at home and I couldn't, like, I don't want my stuff to get stolen again. And she said, I know like you have the lock on the locker, but like people are really smart. She's like, I know how to get those locks undone. Um, I just like, didn't mean to laugh, but I was like, okay. And she expressed that, you know, I think it was like one day right before um, she got into a physical altercation. One teacher just kept pressing her and she responded very negatively to this teacher and, you know, went into verbal aggression, cussing. And then immediately she was looked at as a bad kid because she engaged in this behavior when really she's not. And she has a very, like, in my opinion, a very valid reason to feel this way of why she doesn't want to put her backpack in the locker, but she couldn't express that. Um, and she said, she's like, really, if honestly, if somebody just would have asked me why I don't want to have it in my locker, I probably would have told them, but nobody asked. People just told. Um, I think that is so critical because it's something that I've learned over the years to say to kids, start with, I noticed, or I heard like, I noticed you're, you're keeping your backpack and the expectation is it to be in your locker. And then you ask this magic question that I, I swear they're going to put on a shirt for me when I retire. What's up with that? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and you don't use a, a, a talking down tone of voice. It's very empathetic and just open-ended. And like, you're ta- they say, it's like talking to someone on the elevator. Hey, how you doing today? Like, what's up with that? And and they, the kids actually tell you what's really going on. I mean, eventually some of the younger kids harder, but that would have been the perfect setup for her to just explain for the teacher to have more understanding, which after I shared this with the parent, they were like, it's like seeking for us to understand. And I'm like, yes. So I, when you shared that, I was like, this is so powerful. This is such a good reminder for us. Yeah. And like, I think that's one thing that, and like, when I say teachers, I mean myself too. Like we just need to be more open to hearing this um, because I know that like the workload is crazy. And I know that, you know, like the stress level is so, so high. And the last thing that somebody wants to hear is that they're not being kind. Um, And that's like one thing, like when some of my coworkers at school, like would come to me for advice and I would uh, like initially bring this up a certain way, it wasn't perceived well because they interpreted that I wasn't calling them a kind teacher. And that's not, that's not it at all. And, and I, and I, and I say it because like, even I'm caught being authoritative sometimes it's something that, you know, we're just like, Oh, we already told that kid 10 times. Like, and it's hard not to take it personally. Yes. I've told them and they aren't. And then you get frustrated. And then when you take it personally, then when you try to do this approach, it's like, there's no way I'm thinking of it, saying it that way to the kid, or there's no way I'm going to give them a choice because you're so, you know, emotionally tied to that situation and what they did that really bothered you as the adult, a parent or teacher. Yeah. Well, and you think by giving them options, you don't have control, which like, I think like one of my really good friends, she's an amazing math teacher. If you're listening to me, I'm sorry, I'm telling the story. I love you. But she called me the other week all upset because this this student wasn't following the directive. And it ended up that she had to call the principal down to get the student physically removed from her class. And when talking and debriefing about it, I was like, was the student hurting anyone? No, well, but they just weren't following the rule. Did you, and I asked her, I said, you know, did, like, did you offer her like, cause after the discussion, she told the student to go to the front office and the student was like, I'm not leaving my classroom. And then immediately it was the call to go get somebody to escort her out. And I said, well, why didn't you just tell her, hey, I'm gonna get you five minutes to calm down I, and I would like you to leave after that five minutes, five minutes passes, I'm going to have to call, call the front office and then you walk away. And she's like, well, then that gives her power. And I'm like, but that's the thing is that the student thinks she has the power and you're also giving her time to reflect and make the right choice. 
and still have a relationship with you. This is like, if you call the front office, you're giving the front office now the power. Um, and that student, you're going to have to rebuild that relationship with that student somehow in your very busy schedule. Um, because now that student knows that you don't have the power in order to get her out of the classroom, you're going to have to go call the front office. And those are the people with the real power. And um, I really believe down deep inside every, I'll just say human, they really want to do well. Yes. That girl really wanted to do what she was supposed to do to stay in the classroom. She, she wanted to go to the office if she had the ability in that moment to just digest everything that was going on and be okay with the fact that I have to go to the office now. But it's, it's just really tapping into really and believing that they do want to do well in every interaction that you're having with them. Yes. Yeah. And giving them control. Like I, and you know, like we were talking about with, with the mass and COVID and all the trauma, like kids haven't had control at all this year. And giving like giving them two options gives them control, but you dictate the two options. It's yeah. that you can I control in your classroom and like you can do. Yeah, I always say you give them two choices that you're okay with. You yes. have to be okay with either choice they decide. Don't give them two choices that one you're like, oh gosh, I hope I don't pick that. Don't put it on the table. No, because they'll decide that. They'll, they'll pick that. Give them two options that you're okay with. That is that's a good point. Yeah. And then was, wasn't there another thing that you, that the kids told you in your interviews that was like a real aha? Oh, one thing, um, creating conversations that involve engagement and not just like, not just saying, Oh, hi, you know, Tommy, hope you're having a good day. Yes, I am. Like one thing that, um, and it, and it, it's different for every kid, especially because every kid has their own personality and their own needs and they're very individualized. But with this student who I did this interview for, she is now, I'm really proud of her. She is very expressive that her emotions change like weather. Um, she, her emotions range. She said, you know, she feels everything all at once, all at nothing. Sometimes it changes through the day really fast. And every day when she got off the bus, I would ask her, I'm like, Hey, what are you a one to five? And it also gave her the opportunity. She can hold up a hand and not talk at all, or she can use her voice. Another choice feeling that she has control of the situation. And when she wouldn't respond, I would express, be like, Hey, I need this information for me because I can't read your mind. And I have to know and plan like which type of crazy to be for you today. Um, and like, she would always like, be like, okay, cool. And immediately like throw up a two and I'd be like, all right, cool. Like, and you know, I, I know two meant more options, more, you know, this, whereas like a five meant that whatever I have planned that day, it's going to be perfect. And I'm not going to have to really modify it. Um, so, and she expressed that when teachers did that, like it created more of a trust and a respect and she felt obligated to do the work. She felt obligated to be engaged. She felt obligated to show up. Um, when the student was in gen ed, she specifically had one teacher that she loved and she talked about him during this interview and saying that like, she felt he cared because he wanted to know her as a human. Um, and that was a quote, like she, she's like, he cared about me on a human level. Wow a teacher student level which like which like for her she meant that like sometimes she feels like teachers like are like oh like you're what did she say exactly she expressed that like she like sometimes felt talked down to like you're the student you're the student like um oh she said that like sometimes teachers act like they can't learn anything from me that's big Mm -hmm. And that's funny. Cause I just heard this recently that let a kid teach you something sometimes yes. like that's huge for them. That gives them such a sense of like confidence and self-esteem boost. And, and, and we get so wrapped up in the test scores and the scores. And, and I know it drives even gosh, as a rating, as a school, our scores are wrapped up completely into that. And yet kids have actually vocalized. I feel like I'm just being trained for a test score and no one's really caring about who I am as a person. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I just, I love that you're touching on this. Yeah. And here, I'm going to stop sharing my screen for one second so I can go to the right one. But 
Yeah. So like based off like this student's engagement and me reading all of um, these articles, I decided that I wanted my capstone to be, a, I wanted to conduct a survey um, and really like deep, like I wanted to see like people, like teachers' mindsets about these students in the gen ed setting, um, teachers like me across my county. Um, I teach in Wicomico County in Salisbury. And I really wanted to see like, what are the mindsets that are associated with these students? And like some of the techniques that I've talked about. Um, can you see my screen? Is that okay? So the research questions I wanted to ask um, are what are the current attitudes towards students with emotional disabilities in a general education setting slash classroom? What are the same, I wanted the same question, but I really wanted to gear towards um, outside of the general education setting. So working with teachers like me, um, what do teachers feel are possible solutions to create positive attitudes towards educating students with emotional disabilities? And do attitudes differ based on experience with working with students who have emotional disabilities? So really quick before I keep on going, I'm gonna kind of do a spoiler alert for the last bullet. When I conducted my survey, I had 40 teachers participate. I was super excited by the sample size and everyone's willingness, but 39 out of the 40 had experience working with students and emotional disabilities in the general education setting or in the self-contained um, self setting. So I wasn't able to address this question, but with that being said, like it just proves that there needs to be more research about students with emotional disabilities and training for teachers on how to respond. Yeah. To, because all everyone, everyone that participated except for one person had worked with students with emotional disabilities. Wow. Um, they're not, they're, they're everywhere. They're not just, you know. And there's more and more of them. Yes. It's not course. decreasing. It's just increasing, which could be why there's lack of research because somehow they, maybe we didn't identify students with this, you know, diagnosis or disability category as um, maybe it's just in that has just grown over the years. Yes. Yeah. And that's true, like true too. And just being aware of like that, you know, these outbursts aren't bad behaviors as, you know, people look or see them. It is deeper than that. Um, I like to say, sometimes I say to a kid, what you, you're not bad. What you did or said, the action wasn't expected, but that's a, that's a huge difference. Cause when that kid internalizes that I'm bad because I did X, that's when you see the self-esteem go down. That's where you see the, the self-confidence to, you know, dissipate. And it's just, they're, they're, I think that's important for teachers to make that distinction and parents for the kids. Yeah. Well, and they're going to buy it. Like everyone wants to buy into an identity. Um, especially like I, I coach, I coach girls across, I coach younger girls, I coach high school and the girls that think they want to play in college, they buy into that identity and put in the work versus like, if somebody, if one of my girls doesn't think they are good enough to play in college, sometimes that affects their work ethic and how they see themselves. And, you know, like, and it's crazy when you place them and tell them like, you can go play in college, you know, and they then see that coming, like it completely changes and it applies to the word bad. If a kid thinks of themselves as bad, they're going to feel okay with going to school with not participating in your classroom. Um, they're not going to be intrinsically motivated to like succeed, you know, cause they, they're a bad kid. It's okay. I'm a bad kid. I don't have to do those things. Um, so powerful. Yeah. So the methods that I used is, um, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I said 40, I meant, oops. And it went too fast. It's 30, 30, 30. So 29 out of 30 had to work with students with, um, okay emotional disabilities. I'm so sorry about that. So in the study, um, 17 general education teachers participated and 13 special educators. And uh, I just put this GIF on here because, you know, as we continue to talk about everyone's tired and it's been a very interesting 2020. Um, yes, it has. So materials I used is like, uh, created a survey from Qualtrics. Um, it involved Likert scale questions and open-ended questions. And 
what I based my survey on was at Liberty University, they um, did a survey to compare um, pre-educators mindset about working with students with emotional disabilities. So what they did is um, they, re they had 35 um, students take a pre-survey and a post-survey. So they took the pre-survey um, and it asked them similar questions to what I asked the teachers in Wicomico County, um, such as, you know, wondering about referrals. And if you were like, just looking at mindset and then these 35, 35 teachers had to go work with students who have um, trauma and emotional disabilities at an alternative school for eight hours. And then after they completed that field placement, they took a post-survey. And it was found throughout this research that after working with students who have this trauma, the, their, the teacher's mindsets changed. Mm. In the pre-survey, a lot of teachers expressed that they did not want to work with students who had trauma or emotional needs. They were scared. Um, they believed that students who had trauma or emotional disabilities would possibly be lower academically and not have the same academic needs as students with, um, compared to students without emotional disabilities. And in the post-test, a lot of those mindsets and thoughts completely changed, um, which I thought was really interesting. So I based my um, questions based off that. And then after I took the data, I used SPSS, which is a data analysis software to see what themes and what was um, statistically significant. Basically, this is what I just talked about, my procedure, created the survey, administered it online, and then analyzed it, and ran the independent samples t-test through SPSS. So these are my findings. Um, I did this one informally after giving the survey, and I asked that, do you feel that students with emotional disabilities are often judged by other, edu other educators? And 86% um, of respondents said yes. yes. Amazing, that is shocking. Um, I think that would be shocking for te those teachers to actually see this because then it goes back to perception. Yeah. We think we are yeah. saying or doing something and making someone feel a certain way, but this is, this is alarming. Yeah. And it was just, I was just like blown away. And the 14% said no. Um, and there was a follow-up question to see if like, you know, open-ended to just explain. And What'd I say. The 14% that said no expressed that all consequences are fair. That was um, amongst three of the responses. And immediately when they went into consequences, I was like, why are we talking about consequences already? Um, you know, if you, if, cause I just, then I started, I don't know, cause I didn't ask and I didn't follow up, but if we're already talking about consequences and consequences are a synonym of bad and we're already associating bad with emotional disabilities. Wow. So I like kind of like was like, well, you say no, but you are judging them because you're already talking about consequences with it. Um, which I don't, I was a little mind blown, but yeah, 86 were saying yes is insane. Um, so the next question was, um, do you feel that students with emotional disabilities, yeah, and it, this is continued, um, what I talked about, the, the ones that say no, that it says um, teachers do not judge and that consequences are fair, which I mentioned just ago. And then the, the educators that said yes, really talked about the stigma that students with emotional disabilities are dangerous, aggressive, unpredictable. Um, teachers really fear losing control, which we both, you know, we talked about earlier, you know, and the lack of training and knowledge and that they're seen as bad kids. Um, the ones that the 86% that said yes, they really touched on bad kids a lot. But with 86% saying yes, I like to think that's a positive thing because if they acknowledge that they're judging these students and they're quicker to um, change that perception. Right, yeah. Minded. And that's where some maybe awareness and training could come in. Yes, 
because at the heart and the root and every core of every educator, I do believe that they are there for what's best for kids and they want to make a difference, right? That's why we get into education in the first place. So how do we not get lost in that translation when perceptions are different? Yeah. Yeah. So when I compared settings um, and these questions, I they were asked on a Likert scale. Um, and the Likert scale was um, one to six, um, ranging from agree to, um, hold on, make sure I'm saying this right that way. I don't go back and I'm like, I said that wrong. It ranged from one to six, um, one being I completely agree and six being I completely disagree. Okay. So the statement was asked, um, students with emotional disabilities have the same education needs as other students. So teachers who work in gen ed, they mostly agreed. While as teachers who worked in a self-contained setting, they disagreed a little bit. And teachers who work in a self-contained setting, and I'm not gonna, I'm gonna speak based on my experience. Um, students with emotional disabilities have, I think, different needs than a lot of general education students. They need to feel important. They need to feel loved. Um, not that a lot of general education students don't need that, but a lot of students with emotional disabilities, they come from one parent households. Um, they come with a lot of baggage and a lot of, a lot of obstacles that they have faced that I personally could never imagine facing and overcoming. Um, and they have to carry that every day. So it's a little bit of different need you need to address when they come into the building. It's like they need a little bit more compassionate approach, maybe is a way to say it. Yeah. The next statement was many um, students with emotional disabilities are just as intelligent as students who don't have disabilities. So teachers who work in gen ed, they mostly agreed, while teachers who work in a self-contained uh, setting completely agreed. I thought that was, it's close. I'm glad they were really close, but um, just a little bit off. And I think that that goes down to like teachers who work in gen ed might not see them all the time as like the, the intelligence and as much as, you know. Yeah. It's like, you can't separate that. It's like you're bad. So you must not be good either. And I don't know why we think that, but I don't know. It's kind of there. Yeah. Yeah. I think one, I was talking to one gen ed teacher and about this. And I think she expressed that sometimes she thinks the students um, who have the trauma and come off as bad aren't always in class. You know, they're roaming the halls or they are absent a lot. And sometimes teachers um, have expressed that they think like that impacts their intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I kind of responded, I said, yeah, I can see why, I can see that. But also, you know, every student learns differently. And one, one student, you know, might only need one lesson and one exposure to get the concept. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, you just don't know. Yeah, I've been surprised over the years, the kids who sort of got in trouble, not all of them, I don't wanna put them all in the same category, but it's been surprising that some coming out of that have been some of the brightest kids. Yeah. <laughs> and if you can just find that and focus and highlight that, you might see those other behaviors diminish, or maybe they just need to learn a, learn a few skills to help them on that end. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. one of my students. Incredible for me. Yeah, one of, one of my students who I had, he he taught himself calculus. Wow. At home because he was suspended, and he came back. He's like, hey. I figured out this and I'm like, what? He goes, my mom took all my things and you know, I had that math book. So I, I looked up this. Wow. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, oh, what is wrong with like, what? I know. I heard this statement once that kids with challenging behaviors are often grossly misunderstood. And I, the more I see in this area, I'm like, yeah, they're good. It goes seek first to understand. Like, do you really understand what's like all about that kid? Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. The next, the next statement was as an educator, it would be beneficial to collaborate daily with a special educator about how to create an inclusive environment for students with emotional disabilities. 
And again, like they're only off by one point, but yeah. I just, this one just kind of like got to my heart because teachers who work in Jenna, they mostly agreed while teachers who worked in a self-contained setting completely agreed. We want it. Yeah. And I, I think that such a big asset or an enemy to get. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause if a gen ed teacher, and when I say gen ed, I'm not trying to say all gen ed teachers, but I'm just right. If a general education teacher or even, you know, any teacher, if they don't want to collaborate, there's really nothing you can do with, you know, if you, as a principal or as an administrator, uh, as a supervisor to say, okay, we're going to have this collaboration time. Right. But if they're not bought in, mm-hmm. they're going to apply it, use it, be engaged. Yeah, there's no desire. You're kind of like shot in the foot. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that was encouraging to see that they do want it. If we can give them more time, let like, let's try to provide that for them. Yes. Yeah. Which I think in COVID during, in Maryland, it was really nice. Um, Not that COVID was nice, but when we were all at home and we didn't have Google Classroom figured out yet, and we were getting on Zoom, we were able, like a lot of teachers were more open to talking to me versus um, the previous years before. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. enough time when we were prepping for state testing, when we were doing, and it was really nice because they were asking me some of my stories and asking, you know, um, yeah. respond to that. And it was really, it was neat. And I think very simple, like it wasn't a, you know, a setup PD, but it was just nice to talk. Right. So then I compared roles. So I looked at, general educators versus special educators. Um, and so there's a statement made, uh, teachers, of child- teachers of children with emotional disabilities should be less strict than other teachers. Um, general education teachers disagreed a little where special education teachers mostly agreed. And I followed up with some special education teachers about what being less, less strict looks like um it was they expressed that like less strict was more offering choices like what we've already talked about um being compassionate offering choices letting the student feel like they have control when they really don't but it's just words um whereas like the general education teachers when I asked them this like no like all students have to have the same structure yeah that's interesting yeah. The next statement was as an educator, it'd be beneficial. Again, this is the same um, to collaborate daily. Mm-hmm. And we had the same um, results that general education teachers mostly agreed while special education teachers completely agreed, which is nice because they do want to collaborate. Um, yeah. And it's definitely needed. And again, comparing roles, uh, many students with emotional disabilities are just as intelligent as students who don't have disabilities. Um, both roles uh, agreed, whereas just general education teachers mostly agreed while special education teachers completely agreed. Why do you think that is? I think it just goes down to special education teachers get to work more one-on-one with students. Um, and this is my, ex- I, ha- I haven't been a general education teacher, so but based off my experience, I feel like we get to know the student more holistically since we have smaller classes. Um, my coworkers, they have anywhere from 100 to 150 kids. And I can't imagine, I can't imagine getting to know the kids on a, like, you know, all 150 kids on a deep level. Like I, 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 I would be, if I was, if I was a general education teacher that attempted that task, I would be physically and mentally like drained every day. Yeah. Um, and not that, not saying that it's not worth it to do that, but I think that's just that, that huge, that huge, you know, the bigger classes. Yeah. Um, the next statement was most students with emotional disabilities feel sorry for themselves, which this made me happy because they both disagreed. Um, they didn't completely disagree, but they disagreed a little. And at first I was like, I wonder why they disagreed a little bit. And then when talking to people and me thinking about my experiences, I was like, 
Yeah. I think sometimes they do get stuck and like the, oh man, like I'm just, I have this label or, oh man, I have an IEP or, oh, I go home and my life is hard. Um, and like, it is like all those statements are true. Um, but they, I think that some of the students do get stuck in that mindset, you know, instead of thinking that they can make honor roll and focusing on honor roll, they just think of their label. Yeah. Which I think that, but I think that if teachers really get to know the student holistically and like, you know, have the conversations that we talked about before that this statement hopefully could change. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah, I hope so. So um, one thing that I asked, um, this is where the 40 came in. Uh, one thing that I asked, um, I, I gave out the survey and then I was like, oh, I didn't ask this question. So I informally asked 40 teachers um, that in your undergrad or master's of education prep, did you take any coursework or have any discussion about students with emotional disabilities? 22% um, had and 78% uh, had never had any prior coursework for- Wow, that's alarming. Yeah. In the nine teachers that said yes, one of them actually um, specified their special education major and students with emotional disabilities. Okay. So that was really cool to pick her brain and talk to her. And she even expressed like when she was in her undergrad and getting this specific major that people would refer to her as crazy, um, that she wanted to do help these kids that, you know. Uh, that's something. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna continue. So I talked about the interview already a little bit. Um, that student is amazing. That was really good. Yeah. Awesome. And then um, what I found just, I'm gonna answer these two guys really quick, is that uh, the current attitudes towards students with emotional disabilities in the gen ed classroom is that they're initially judged um, two out of 30 participants expressed that they do not think that students with emotional disabilities should be in the general education setting. Hmm. Um, teachers did express in the gen ed setting that they are using different interventions, um, but they also are using similar interventions with students without emotional disabilities. Uh, the majority of the general education staff wrote in open-ended questions that they would really like additional training. Yeah. Uh, going again, talking about like the conversations that I had over Zoom with my coworkers during COVID, a lot of them expressed that they wanted to talk about like more positive moments um, being shared. So like talking about like, you know, the self-contained teachers expressing that like I did this and this and we got, the result was the student increasing their reading level by two. Um, the student used to be verbally aggressive and now the student says, yes, ma'am and no, ma'am stuff like that, they really want to hear and they feel like that would make them more open, have a better mindset to working with these students. I like what one um, educator was sharing recently to our staff that each teacher writes a little three by five card of all of the strengths of the child yes. like across areas, like not just academically, but including academically. And then those, those cards were passed to the next year's teacher, because sometimes you just only know of the not so great things happening with, you know, certain individuals, but everybody had like a little leg up the next year to start with. Isn't that cool? I, love I, I like that. I'll tell my principal that. I really, I like that a lot. I yeah. think because you're right. It's sometimes, and just it naturally, I think as humans, we just think of the negative or your brain, like, oh no. I mean, when you look back at your day, what always stands out is the thing that didn't happen. Like we're just somehow just wired and trained to just like, think of, think of the, the pessimistic part of everything. Right. Yes. So now you just have to plan for the opposite and, and give them reasons to see how amazing and beautiful and wonderful those individuals are, no matter what struggles that they have, because they're not robots. They're not going to be perfect. Yeah, no. And I, I really like that card. And I think the word, when you said the word plan, I thought of, I used to, when I got new students for the incoming year, I would look at all their referral history and I would look at their behavior plans that they have in place and look at and like study the IEP and Unfortunately, a lot of the, in the IEP is a lot of negative, you know? Yeah. This picture of this kid, cause I was like, okay, I need to replant, I need to plan, you know, if they need um, 
a break area, you know, but that becomes really overwhelming because you're seeing all these referrals. Like there's no positive referrals. Yeah. Right. In the system. (laughs) Like, so I think that I like those cards a lot. I think that's that's our, that's our positive referral system. I like that. We're going to create that. Emily, let's do it. (laughs) I, I think you should. I think it would just paint such a better picture of students than, yeah. And sometimes they like, there was something I read a post the other day, like your child, how they are today is not who they're going to be in the future. Like we don't have, we can, we can change that trajectory where that kid's going to end up. It doesn't have to be that bad kid that we kind of all know them to be. So I don't know. That's what I'm on a mission for. Yeah. yeah. I think I, I heard this analogy and I think it's like perfect thinking about just like kids and just like unknowns. Cause you can't plan everything, but like, I really think that some students are like, you take an a thousand piece puzzle out, you dump it out and you don't have the picture to put it together. Oh, wow. That's cool. And you just have to like, and you know, you, one day you'll have a corner and then some days you'll be like, that's not right. And you have to tear it apart and put it back together. Cause you don't have the guide to look at, you know? Yeah. Um, so in comparing the attitudes um, of the outside general education teachers, um, the Mies and the county, uh, they really emphasize on learning about the student's unique behaviors and how to best, best support him and her. So going back to what we just talked about, um, looking at those like referrals and thinking about how to support them, but also that can become overwhelming because you're like, oh, wow, this kid's a biter. Like, how am I going to prepare, you know, yeah. to not bite? Right. The other thing that they really talked about in their open-ended questions was that um, they believe that students with ED are just as capable as peers without disabilities, uh, which I think that's like really awesome, really, really awesome to enforce. And I really think that like that bleeds onto like your students as well. Yes, I agree. And that if they also really talked about social and emotional needs need to be addressed as well as academic needs. And I didn't see that those that verbiage as much in the general education responses. It was more about the academics and thinking, you know, getting the test scores in and that they don't have time to deal with these behaviors because they have all this pressure from their supervisor to get the scores and meet. Um, in Maryland, we have things called SLOs. And so to meet these goals, these individual goals that um, each teacher has to write like an SLO that uh, they start and they say, okay, uh, 70% of my students are going to pass the, um, end of the term test and have to send all this data off to the state to show this growth. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's really, that can become really stressful. It's the pressure that they, they drive, they're driven under. Yeah. Instead of thinking, they're thinking about that and not the social emotional needs. And then the last thing is that they really express like the need to collaborate and talk. Yeah, I think that's so important. Yeah. So much more time this has to be built in for that. Yeah. Even and I think that and I know as me as an educator I'm constantly like okay, I only have 30 minutes. I need to get my list done and like into a zone and I don't like when people come in my classroom during my planning I'm like please get out. Like I don't have, you know, this is not your time right now. But <laughs> I think that like being, being comfortable with being unstructured and not having a task list, I think that could go a really long way in helping students. Yeah. And as administrators providing that time for your staff to collaborate. Yes. And that was proven with this question. I mean, but one of the possible solutions was additional training. Um, One thing that everyone was talking about is that they really hope that at the college level, like at undergraduate and graduate level, they have like, you know, talk about this with class. I hope they do include more and more. Yeah, I think they should. I mean, I didn't know when I was an undergrad, I, we had one miniature conversation about students with emotional disabilities. That was it. Yeah. I don't think there's a lot out there. And then as educators, you don't feel like you're an expert in the area. And so when you get a kid who acts out, you, you really feel at a loss. Yeah. But yet we're looked to, to have the answer. And it's embarrassing that sometimes we, d- we don't have the answer. Okay. So it's, it would be a good call for more research, more training. Yes. No, I agree. And I think that's it. Cause I addressed that one. So what was your, one of your biggest takeaways? 
I think my biggest takeaway was that it made me, I think during my four years of teaching, I was very, I'm my biggest critic. And I think most teachers are because they want to do the right thing and they want to have success. They want, um, you know, they want to feel like they're, they're just doing the right thing and not going to work every day and emptying a boat that's sinking. Um, and I think during my four years of teaching students with emotional disabilities, I was always like, I, why don't I have the answer for this? I don't feel like I'm servicing this kid correctly. I don't feel like I'm doing it right. And I think yeah. this whole research project just kind of was like a breath of fresh air. Cause I'm like, nope. nope. <laughs> and I don't, yeah, there is no answer. The only answer and the only concrete research is that these kids are probably not going to pass high school. Mm -hmm. well, be successful and the adult life and which gave me more motivation. I feel like for the rest of the school year, I, everyone's like, why are you so peppy? Why are you so, why are you so nice? And I'm like, because literally in my head, I was like, I don't want, I don't want kids to go. I to gotta make this difference. Yeah. Like it just yeah. was in my head. Like I was like, this is the only thing that works. So this is the only thing I can do. And I just felt a lot more effective. And I felt like I was patching a hole instead of like getting the water out. Um, so listening, listening more, taking the time to listen. Mm -hmm. I think they say a kid needs seven connections to someone in school to really help them through. And just like, yeah, just seven people showing an interest, connecting with them. How was your weekend? Acknowledging yes. them, making them feel valued, wanted, needed. I have a place like I showed up and someone noticed me today. Like yeah. if, if we just kept that in our mind, as we interacted and went throughout our day, mm -hmm. interacting with kids. And, um, I love even a, a kindergarten teacher did an assessment survey with her kids, just checking in with them. Like, how do you feel in class? Do you feel mm -hmm. like I give you choices? Do you like me? Like something so simple, but you could do this and just tailor it for every grade and getting yeah. that feedback mid year really helps you reflect like what, and, and she thought she was giving them a lot of choice and 90% of them were like, we don't feel like we have a choice when we come into the class. <laughs> she was like, what? So it's amazing what we think yeah. we're doing and yet what is, what's really, really going on or what they're, they're thinking and feeling. And I think you, you, you married that really beautifully for us to think about. Yeah. One thing I want to add on that is that like to teachers, like just because you ask them how they're doing and you talk to them and you think like you're being bubbly, don't expect them to be bubbly back. Don't have expectations of what the conversation's going to look like because you might miss something when you're expecting how the how that conversation's gonna go. Um, just being open to like, like I, one thing my student said when we were talking about these, you know, conversations of engagement, She's like, they need to be offered, but you don't need, you shouldn't expect them to engage. And I was like, okay. And she's like, but you still need to offer them every day. Wow. That's really good. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much. This was thank really you for special me on. to hear about, you know, what you researched, what you looked into, how you reflected on your own practice and changed what you did. And I know those kids that you interacted with this year, uh, um, I know that you made that difference for them in, in these little, little adjustments that you made. And I love that we can come back to this interview and just be rejuvenated and recharged and like reminded of these great skills and practices to use where, when we're connecting with the kids and, and don't assume and seek first to understand and, uh, find out from them, ask them, just ask, yep. give them the two choices, two choices that you're okay with. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Not, not something that you can't do. Maybe battle. You do not want to fight. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I think my favorite one was my co-teachers like, okay, you can go take a break or, um, you can go on, you can go on a walk or you can, um, I forget what she, she said something else, but she didn't have an assistant to go take the student on a walk. And I was like, well, that student can't go on a walk now. I know. And then you, you look at it you're like, no, you just offered it, but now, you know, I can't do that. I can't choose, yeah. choose, choose that choice you just gave me. Yeah. And then they're like, what? But yeah. Well, 
Emily, thank you for all the kids' lives that you impact and being an inspiration to the educators and colleagues, not only in your school and district, but to all those who are going to end up listening to this interview. Um, Thank you so much. And I know there's a lot that you and educators give and give and give, and you don't always hear the thank you and the difference that you made. So for the times you haven't, and I just want to encourage you to keep keep on doing what you're doing because you're making a difference and the world needs more people like you. So thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for having me on. You're welcome. Well, that's all we've got for this episode of the Momnificent Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be honored if you would subscribe and rate if you really liked it. I know wherever you're listening right now, it might not be the best time to leave a comment, but feel free to leave a question, a review, or a comment at any time. And until next time, remember, don't worry, be happy.